Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by two of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voison and Linda Venny. Each of them paralegals for over 20 years and both dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Paralegal Voice on Legal Talk Network. We really appreciate all of you tuning in and listening. I'm Lynn DeVenny, a North Carolina State Bar Certified Paralegal employed by Elliot Pishko Morgan in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, I do provide litigation support in a lot of different areas, but these days it's mostly workers' compensation, immigration, and Social Security disability. I have co-authored a textbook for paralegals who are uh, working in the areas of workers' comp or civil injuries called uh, Workers' Compensation Practice for Paralegals, and we're actually working on the second edition, which is exciting. And I also blog for the paralegal profession at practicalparalegalism.com, although these days it's mostly about affordable and thrifted career wear. You've turned into our fashionista, Lynn. <laughs> our recessionista. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I'm Lynn's co-host, Vicki Voison, a now advanced certified paralegal, and I call myself the paralegal mentor. I publish a weekly e-newsletter titled Paralegal Strategies, and I'm the co-author of The Professional Paralegal, a Guide to Finding a Job and Career Success, published by Prentice Hall. You'll find more information at paralegalmentor.com, where my subscribers receive my 151 tips for your career success. Now, the Paralegal Voice would not be the success it is if not for our sponsors. So today, a big thanks goes out to NALA, a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education and professional certification programs for paralegals at NALA.org. NALA's been with us since day one, and we very much appreciate the association's support and all it does for the paralegal profession. And you guys have the national convention next week, don't you? We do. We'll both be there. Well, our guest, after we introduce our guest, but yes. Oh, that's exciting. Um, Say hello to everybody for me. Um, as many of you know, the goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry. Uh, we try to share with you guys leading trends, significant developments, as well as resources that we'll think you find helpful in your careers and everyday jobs. We'll also have guests on the program to help us explore timely topics. Today on the Paralegal Voice, we'll take a look at billable hour practices with our guest, Jennifer Carnes. Legal Professional Training Manager for Snell & Wilmer, LLP. Jennifer conducts training sessions in complex case management, litigation procedures, timekeeping, project management, and grammar and writing. And in addition to her training responsibilities, Jennifer works closely with the firm's practice groups to implement electronic management procedures that are designed to reduce paper and save costs. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you at the NALA convention next week. Absolutely. We will uh, spend some time together. Right. Jennifer, uh, Vicki just summarized uh, many of your training responsibilities. Uh, so obviously you're responsible for a great deal at your firm. Uh, how did you make the transition from a traditional paralegal job to your current position? Um, was it a combination of experience and education? And could you tell us a little bit more about your current responsibilities? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I was a paralegal in litigation practice group for approximately 14 years. And through that time, uh, I went through the process of getting my associate's degree and bachelor's degree and finally graduated with my master's degree back in 2005. Uh, I did take a short break, a uh, four-month break from Snell & Wilmer uh, to finish my master's degree. And when I returned, I did return as a paralegal. Uh, shortly thereafter, the firm created my training position. So it was based on a combination of my experience and then also my education. Um, that was almost six and a half years ago. And as Vicki was explaining, as a training manager, I am responsible for uh, the new hire orientations and training. I do develop, I write uh, all of the training courses in litigation case management. Um, we're doing legal project management, timekeeping, and then a multiple other soft skill areas. Um, in assisting different practice groups, I get to work with a lot of the attorneys uh, helping them develop efficient workflow procedures uh, that do incorporate the use of technology and electronic record keeping. Uh, so the trend I see happening is uh, more electronic record keeping as opposed to our traditional hard copy files. So we're getting them up to speed on using technology. Well, Jennifer, I also offer billable hour training through my paralegal mentor program, and I've also had to um, enter billable hours my entire career, which is something that, uh, you know, gets a little old after a while, but it's just, the, it's just the way it is. And most paralegals do have to meet their billable hour goals. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about the importance of meeting those goals, you know, what it means to the firm and to the employee. Okay. Employers set billable goals for many reasons. While we may not know the exact reasons the firm sets a billable hour goal, we can guess that that goal is used to estimate a paralegal's profitability, to estimate hiring needs, to estimate a paralegal's productivity, can be used as a negotiation tool in client development, and can even be used as a measure for year-end bonuses. Um, paralegals should take those goals seriously to measure their own productivity and it's an excellent way to determine if you might need additional work or if your load is too heavy, and that would be something to bring to the attorney's attention. Uh, meeting your goal is also important because it shows your value to the firm. Firms can usually provide timekeepers with monthly averages and estimations of where paralegal stands with an annual billable goal, and I do suggest that paralegals keep track of their averages on a monthly basis so you're always aware if you're meeting your goal. Jennifer, I'm a, on the opposite side of the fence from you and Vicki. Um, obviously, um, Vicki works. Vicki and I both do workers' compensation, but she's done defense, and, and I've done plaintiffs. Um, but I'm still required to keep my time. A lot of people, a lot of paralegals that work on contingency fee cases are not, but we are required to keep time. Everybody in the firm is required to keep track of their time um, using an electronic record keeping system. So. I want to ask you this next question, and I was thinking about it before I asked you, and I thought there's another group of people that probably this affect this question affects. But when you do billable hour training, what is the most difficult concept for paralegals to grasp? And I'm thinking it might be the same one that it's difficult mm -hmm. for attorneys to grasp. Right. Well, what I've seen in my years of timekeeping training, uh, the most difficult concept is drafting a proper description. Uh, timekeeping is definitely creative writing. Uh, you don't want to waste your time writing a paragraph explaining a simple letter that you prepared because that would take almost as much time as writing the letter. Uh, I do provide resources for paralegals or any timekeeper at the firm 
that include timekeeping descriptions because that is uh, a difficult concept to grasp. Um, if someone doesn't have access to those resources, my suggestion is to ask the attorney, how do you want me to describe this task? Or other suggestions would be to ask for timekeeping uh, description examples from either your accounting department or from perhaps even a previous employee so that you can see how they describe tasks. Um, I also like to offer a sample way that you can create a very concise timekeeping description, and that's to remember that your description should include two parts, and part one is that concise description of what you did, and then part two is the value statement of why you did the task. Um, really no additional detail is necessary. Uh, the client receiving the bill should be up to speed on what's happening in their matter so that the description of the what and the description of the value or the why uh, should be sufficient for the client. Uh, one other tip that I usually offer, uh, Jennifer, is if you see someone who's really a very successful biller, ask them how they um, go about showing, you know, what they do, how they write their time, their time entries. But I'm wondering if you can offer our audience some tips on how you can make sure that no time is missed. And this is especially what I call tiny time, and that would be email and telephone calls, small things like that, that we tend to miss. You know, this is tough because many timekeepers look at their time at the end of the day and some say, you know, I've been here for eight hours and I have only four hours billed. So one tip I share with timekeepers who find themselves in this situation is to remember the before and the after time, not just the time in the middle of actually doing the task. And that before and after time can be described as the time it took you to get prepared for the task. So example would be you had to gather and organize some file materials prior to starting a disclosure statement. That time should be included. Then after you finished your draft and you attached it to an email, and sent it to the attorney with perhaps a short summary of what you included in this new disclosure, that after time should be counted as well. Before and after time could equal, uh, for example, a point four, approximately 20 minutes. So when you think about the big picture, if you fail to include a point four on a daily basis or routinely uh, throughout your day, um, even a point four missed per day could equal two hours per week. Um, I recommend as far as a timekeeping habit is to enter draft entries into whatever electronic timekeeping program that you use. Um, this means that you don't struggle trying to write out a proper, concise entry at the moment that you're doing the task, but instead you just put in your memory or a draft description. Then at the end of the day, you can go back and clean up those draft entries. So it'll save you time and will also be your reminder of what you did throughout the day. Um, another tip would be to look through your sent and deleted items, and that will remind you what you did uh, throughout the day in your email program. And if that doesn't work, as a last resort, I do recommend individuals use a notepad to keep track of their time. I do say that as a last resort only because it takes you more time to transfer those descriptions from handwritten notes to your software program. Jennifer, those are all great tips. Um, timekeeping is something I think especially in our firm that um, attorneys struggle with and then we struggle with when we're trying to help them recreate their time. And because we do have electronic 
method of doing it, my suggestion to paralegals who do have that is, is leave the box open. Um, make sure that you're entering task as you do them because people will go, oh, I'll remember that tomorrow or I'll come in in the morning and reconstruct my time entries. And inevitably, they find that very difficult to do. And of course, none of us have ever worked with any attorneys who tried to reconstruct an entire month of time entries. (laughs) Um, Not me. (laughs) Um, You talked earlier about a value statement. Uh, Can you give our listeners some tips about how to add value to their time entries? The key to adding value is to use value words in your time description. So value words uh, would include words such as assess, design, examine, assemble, classify, record, explore, etc. I'll also remember to construct your description so that they always include, uh, like I mentioned before, that part one, the what, and the part two, the why, and the why is your value. So adding value is not about using large words to describe your task, but it is about concise writing and showing your value in the task. So here's an example. If I were to say in my time description, work on changes to escrow instructions, this example only includes part one, the what. I worked on changes to escrow instructions. It doesn't include any value, so the client might not pay for your time. Uh, So for this task, to show value, you would instead say, assist in drafting escrow instructions for final review by attorney prior to closing. The part about for final review by attorney prior to closing is your value statement. And they also know why you did it. Correct. Getting ready for the closing, so that's good. Okay, do you have any additional suggestions for getting time entered? You know, especially if someone doesn't have the software that automatically does that, which I I've, I've, have to admit, I've never had the software that automatically did it. I have timekeeping software where I enter my time, but I have to do it. So what do you suggest? My suggestion for every timekeeper is open your timekeeping program every morning, the same way you'd open your email program. And as soon as you start a billable task, you create an entry. Uh, Remember that you don't need to struggle with creating that proper description every time you start a task and instead try uh, creating a draft entry and then go back and clean it up later. I also like to uh, suggest adding to that draft entry some type of all-cap symbol. Uh, I use all-cap Xs. Uh, That indicates to me that the entry is a draft and it will remind me later to go in and, and clean it up. Okay, it's time to take a quick break now, Jennifer. This has really been very interesting. So when we return, there will be more with Jennifer Carnes about billable hour practices. And now a word from our sponsor, NALA. NALA means professional. NALA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And NALA's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. NALA works actively with others in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why NALA means professional at www.nala.org. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Vicki Voison, and I'm Lynn DeVenny, and we are talking with Jennifer Carnes, the Legal Professional Training Manager for Snell and Wilmer 
LLP. Jennifer, do you have any suggestions um, for paralegals to make sure that their time entries don't reveal confidential information or case strategies? Is that a, is that a problem that you encounter often? It, it really isn't with proper timekeeping training. Um, I recommend that you keep your time entries factual. Uh, and by following the simple part one uh, of explaining what you did and part two, the why construction, it really isn't necessary to include any confidential or strategic information in your entry because your client will know the strategy by virtue of talking with the attorney. Um, and it's generally not recommended to provide any further detail. Uh, so if you keep it simple and concise, uh, the part one, the what, and the part two, the why construction, you should not be revealing any confidential information or case strategies. Jennifer, one problem that I've seen paralegals have is uh, when, when it comes time to, well, they'll write their time entry and then they try to, they either know that they spent maybe an hour on the project, but they feel bad about how long it took them. They don't think it should have taken them that hour to do the project. Or they think, well, this client really can't afford to pay all of that. So they hesitate to put down the entire amount of time that it takes them to bill. So what suggestions do you have for those paralegals? Well, first, you need to take into consideration your level of experience and the task you were asked to accomplish. If you were asked to tackle a fairly routine task that you've done in the past, then you should bill your time as is and feel confident in the amount of time the task took if you have experience doing that task. Now, on the other hand, when you work on a task that you've never done before, you need to recognize if any of the time you spent figuring out how to start the task should be billed to what I like to call self-guided training. Many firms have a general billing number or a training number where you can allocate a portion of the time to that non-chargeable number. Uh, this, will, this concept makes the billing fair to the firm, to you, and to the client. Um, oftentimes, though, we should bill our tasks as is. Um, the billing attorney, prior to the bill being sent to the client, will review your time entries prior to sending that bill out. And if they felt that you took too much time, the attorney has the opportunity at that point to reduce your time by a certain amount. Jennifer, I'm glad you talked about um, the, the separate billing code for some of the things that fall under non-billable hours. We have that at our, our firm. Um, there are billing codes for administrative work, uh, case management, as well as continuing education. Um, this next question I see constantly discussed on the national paralegal listservs. Um, it just seems to come up again and again. But how does a paralegal know what is billable and what is not billable to a client? Well, traditionally, anything clerical is not billable. And a few clerical examples are opening or closing files, preparing mail, proofreading, preparing messenger slips, making travel arrangements, and so on. The best way to determine what's billable or not is to ask. If you work for an outside counsel firm, your attorney will receive written instructions from the client. Uh, these outside counsel guidelines will tell you what the client will and won't pay for. And as a timekeeper on the case, you're entitled to review those outside counsel guidelines, and I recommend that you ask for a copy. Uh, if you work on matters where there are no outside counsel guidelines, paralegals should bill for work that adds value to the client's matter, something that moves the client's matter forward and is not considered clerical. Um, ask questions. Ask your attorney when you're starting work on a new matter what's billable and what's not. 
And when you're asked to work on a task that is not billable, your next question should be whether or not you can delegate that task to a non-timekeeper. Jennifer, before we're through today, I would like to, you know, pick your brain a little bit and ask if you have two or three additional tips for paralegals regarding um, tracking their billable hours. Well, my first tip uh, for any timekeeper is to figure out what your daily billable goal is. And following the advice uh, that I give to pay yourself first, this means you take a look at the time you will spend out of the office in a year for holidays, vacation, and personal time. And after you figure out that amount of time, you deduct it from your total annual hours in a year. This will give you the number of hours you will actually work on an annual basis. So after that, divide those actual working hours by the number of days you'll work, and you'll arrive at a number that needs to be billed on the days you're working. So as an example, and you can take notes on this, if you work a 40-hour work week, you multiply that times 52 weeks in a year, you'll arrive at 2,080 hours. Recommending that you pay yourself first. Uh, For an example purposes, if your firm observes 10 holidays, you take 15 days of vacation and five personal days. That would equal 240 hours off in a year. So you take your total annual hours, which is 2,080, less the time off of 240 hours, and you'll arrive at 1,840 hours in a year. So to figure out how many weeks you have to bill your goal, If your time off is 240 hours, that's six weeks. So you take 52 weeks in a year, less your six weeks off. So you have 46 weeks then to bill your goal. For example purposes, if your goal is 1,600 hours, you would divide your 1,600 hours by 46 weeks, and that equals 35 hours, 35 billable hours per week, or seven billable hours per day is your goal. So every timekeeper needs to do the short math to figure out what your billable goal is per day uh, that you are working in the office. My second tip would be, uh, and as Lynn had already mentioned, is to make timekeeping a habit. Trying to reconstruct your time will always be inaccurate, and it will definitely take you longer to reconstruct than if you entered your time as you moved along in your day. Um, I recommend something as simple as putting a colorful note on your computer screen that says, enter your time. And that would be a constant reminder to yourself. And last, expect that some of your time will be written off, either by your attorney or by the client. Firms usually keep track of time written off by clients, so you may want to ask to see those write-offs so you can learn what clients are paying for and what they're not. Um, It also gives you the opportunity to discuss any client write-offs with your attorney and perhaps come up with a timekeeping description for tasks that you and your firm feel add value to client work. Well, Jennifer, you have been very, very helpful today. I um, I like all of the tips that you had, and we are, you know, I think it's a privilege that we've been able to have someone with your knowledge here today. So I want to thank our very special guest, Jennifer Carnes, for joining us today. You've had a lot of great information for us, Jennifer, and I look forward to seeing you next week in Omaha at the NALA convention. Meanwhile, if someone wants to know more about today's topic, is it possible for them to reach you? Yes, they can send me an email. I'm at jkarns at swlaw.com. Jennifer, thanks again. Um, a lot of great tips, and it's a critical topic for paralegals, and, and we know you're very, very busy, so thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. We're going to take another short break and come back with some paralegal news and announcements. 
So uh, don't go away. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm just going to give a quick social media tip. I'm going to sound like your mother, but have you updated your LinkedIn profile yet? Um, I run across them all the time with old pictures and old jobs, uh, people that I know have changed jobs and still have uh, their LinkedIn profile reflects that they still work at a firm that they no longer work at, which is probably not a happy um, situation for either that firm or you. So um, if you've, if you've uh, gotten any additional education, volunteered on any committees, uh, spoken at any CLEs, um, or changed jobs, um, it might be time to uh, update that profile. Uh, if you started out with a picture that you're not really crazy about, um, now might be the time to uh to update your profile photo. Um, also want to remind you when you're out and about, uh, networking, attending CLEs, uh, make sure that you contact people that you met in person uh, via LinkedIn. If you're not already connected, uh, send a nice message about how much you enjoyed meeting them. This is good also for non-legal uh, people that you encounter. Uh, sometimes paralegals uh, can be some of the most powerful marketers of their firm. And it's a great way to let people that you know that are not lawyers and other paralegals what your firm does. Vicki, what's your practice tip today? I think I'm going to uh, go ahead and talk just a little bit more about billable hours, Lynn, because I, I was reminded of something when Jennifer was talking, and that is the non-billable work that you might do. And I, I guess I I want to caution people and, and paralegals, attorneys too, that if there's work that someone else can do, let them do it. Don't be doing work that someone else can do. Do work that only you can do. Because when you volunteer to do things like order the copy paper or change the light bulbs, it's not billable time and it doesn't help you reach your billable hour goals. So watch how much time you're spending on those things and try to minimize it as much as you can. Um, and that's all I have. I, I uh, love Jennifer's uh, answers and she was very, uh, very concise with lots of great tips. So I think that we're ready to say goodbye to everyone, right, Lynn? Yep, that's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. Don't forget to check out the show notes on our blogs, paralegalmentor.com and practicalparalegalism.com. This is Lynn DeVenny. And this is Vicki Voison, thanking you for joining us today and reminding you to make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice with Linda Venny and Vicki Voison. This podcast is produced by the Legal Talk Network. 
be sure to get the next edition of the podcast. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.